welcome to episode 36 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. Uh, it's good to be back again with another little short hiatus, but Daz, uh, you've got your life back together and we've been able to to uh, join up again uh, this time on a Wednesday evening and talk some hoops. Yeah, the um, I don't know about the life back together, but life on pause for the next 90 minutes anyway, Daz. Yes. <laughs> keen to get into it. <laughs> No, look, I, I, there's been so much happening uh, in the NBA. We we're just talking before we got on there about some of the some of the major news stories, and there's obviously some injuries, and there's even been a coach firing that we probably need to get to. We'll sort of leave that for the bad part uh, of of this pod. We're going to go good, bad, and the ugly again uh, from the the last sort of week and a half of the NBA since we last spoke, uh, as well as at the end of this, we're going to look at our quarter season awards and sort of touch on some of the good performances uh, that we've seen so far this year. But really, the, the thing with the good I really wanted to touch on tonight was there's three streaking teams. Now, one team had their streak broken today, but we still want to touch on them. But uh, the first team I want to talk about is currently on a 12-game win streak, and uh, that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, now, I know you were quite worried about the Cavs. I wasn't quite as worried, so I'm glad that uh, I didn't panic or anything a couple of weeks ago when I had a bit of a, a losing streak, Daz. But in all seriousness, I mean, I asked the question when they were playing so poorly, you know, where is the improvement going to come from? And I'll sort of give my quick take on where I think the improvements come from, and then I'll get you your assessment of, of what you've sort of seen during this 12-game win streak. I mean, it's been a soft schedule. I have to put that out there straight away. It's been a little bit of a soft schedule. They haven't really played too many teams from the Western Conference just yet. Uh, but having said that, you can only play who's ahead of you, and winning 12 on, on the trot is a good record no matter who it comes against. I think there's been a little bit of addition by subtraction, though, with this. I think Tristan Thompson being out has actually helped this team in the sense that Kevin Love's come in and started at centre, and he's really just been feasting on some of the traditional centres that he comes up against. You know, the Dwight Howards, the Sam Whitesides, the Andre Drummonds. I mean, he's just been feasting in those matchups. And also, Derek Rose going AWOL. Um, that has allowed uh, Jose Calderon to come in. And Jose Calderon, look, no one's mistaking him for a superstar, but he's just a guy who's going to come in and play his role, not do anything too fancy, doesn't need the ball his hands. He can play off the ball uh, and fit into this team. And him, Kim coming in, I don't think they've lost a the game since he came into the start. I'm not suggesting that's the sole reason, but it's certainly been an improvement for them. So I think there's been a little bit of addition by subtraction there. They're also paying a little bit more attention on the defensive end. They're still no, by no means uh, the 2003-04 Spurs or anything like that, but they're, they're a very good team. On the, they're, they're playing much better on the defensive end. But Daz, what have you seen? Well, what, what's your sort of take on, on where the improvement has come from from Cleveland? Is it, is it all down to effort, or has there been a, a few other sort of subtle changes that you've seen in some of the games you might have watched? Well, it's, it's, it's everything you said. I don't know if, um, if Tristan Thompson going out is a good thing, so I won't go so far as what you're suggesting is a good thing. Um, I, so put that aside for the second. Kevin Love, um, you know, this goes, back, this goes back a couple of weeks when I think we, the, the, the verb trucked started getting into the, into the lexicon when you know, the Cavs were garbage, and then the Kevin Love trucked the Bucks um, all over the place. Um, you know, whistles from the referees aside, there was something was different about the way they played that game, 
And again, they then lost the next night against Houston, then gone on this 12-game winning streak. So I saw them play just with a different, I guess, the, the Cavalier focus and a Cavalier intensity where they played four quarters of basketball like they were engaged. So, um, you know, that was only, again, back then, it was only a week removed from our having um, sticky notes on the television screen where we could literally find eight and ten foot gaps on the floor between the Cleveland defenders and the opponents. The opponents, and so no question, it's just effort and, and focus. Why we'll never know if it's a strategy. If they literally say let's coast for a while and save our energy, and then decide to kick it in, or if it's just something that's organic and unspoken from a team that's you know led by LeBron. I guess the why it occurs and when it occurs, we'll we may never know. But it looks largely effort. And then second thing, remember why I was probably, I don't know if you're being facetious or trying, or you're rewriting history, but why I thought, you know, the stable goat needs a little time is this just with all the roster turnover and right. D Wade was the man last time LeBron came and now they got a massive, massive role reversal. D Wade was starting trying to fit in next to D Rose. That didn't work. D Wade went to the bench doing a little bit right with what that does to the ego with him coming off the bench saying all the right things publicly about, you know, why it's good for the team. And that's proven to be the case the last little while. So that suddenly that second unit is calmed down, right? And LeBron's still playing 37 minutes a night, which, you know, I guess with the, maybe we'll stop questioning that one day, but we still question how that guy can play 37 minutes a night, but the second unit, right? So Dwayne Wade's playing, he's playing well, right? He's got a decent PR. He's doing, He's doing his D-Wade stuff on defense. Like, he's not going to be mistaken for the, you know, um, Gary Payton on D, but he's still that sneaky, good, you know, backside defender. And even if he gets beat, he can he can kind of chase you down and and, and and knock a ball away. So they've had that that point of attack defense has been a little bit better. Um, you know, a little bit is better than god-awful. So it's a combination of things, I guess. It's love, love being really fit, LeBron being LeBron, Calderon just running an offense with all those shooters and D Wade sort of stabilizing the the second unit. That's what it feels like. And yeah, Wade certainly it. Wade's played well. I mean, to push back a little bit on the Tristan Thompson thing, I, I just I mean I've got his stats up at the moment: four point four points a game, six point four rebounds. Uh, normally he's, he's around the sort of nine rebounds over nine points a game. So only eight game sample size. So nothing to get too stressed about start of the season, but. He looked terrible to start the season anyway. But I look at the way they're playing now, and I just think, where does Tristan Thompson fit into this team now? When he comes back, does he start, and does Love shift back to the four, or does Love go to the bench? Oh, sorry, does Love go to the bench? Does Tristan Thompson go to the bench and come on and play as part of that bench? You know, I think there's some question marks there. And that got me thinking about, well, is, is there the potential there to trade Tristan Thompson? And look at what you might be able to get for him. And that's when I started to think a little bit further about it and uh, came across your Milwaukee Buckstaz. And I threw a trade out to you today, which you know I know you've seen. Jabari Parker and Della Vadova for Tristan Thompson. Now that, to me, is a win-win in this sense. The Bucks get their rebounding. I saw them get out-rebounded by a 17-rebound margin against the Celtics the other day, the Bucks they, they need some help uh, in the centre. They need some rebounding help. I think Tristan Thompson ticks that box for them. From the Cavs' point of view, they know Della Vadova can play with LeBron. I think he's 
uh, almost the perfect guy to come in uh, and play that sort of caller on role, if you like, even when Isaiah Thomas comes back. And then you take the chance on Jabari Parker. So if LeBron does flee in for agency, which seems more and more likely, um, you've then got something to sell and say, well, look, we've got a young guy. Maybe we can see how he develops, take our next pick as well, and then we're already starting to build for the future. So it just sort of seemed to me a trade that was a win-win. Jabari's going to come back. He could he could certainly contribute this year in the title tilt for them. And I just think to, to the way they've built this team, Parker and Delavadova make more sense to me than maybe what Tristan Thompson does. But am I underselling Tristan Thompson? Who, who says no in that deal, do you think? Well, I just want to comment on how that's. Um, I like where, when I like when the uh, the San Antonio Spurs fan and the reasoned, level-headed host is off in speculation land. So I, I enjoy I enjoy the premise of the question, Daz, as stunning as, as it is. So, um, so I'm going to answer your first question first, which was, um, where does Thompson fit in? And absolutely, unequivocally, has to be there on the bench. No question. You don't fuck with this, right? It, Lou would be crazy. LeBron would be crazy. It'd be crazy to insert him in there, right? And I go, Crowder is as ineffective as Crowder has been. It fits, right? He fits, like we kind of said, what made this was an A-plus trade, is he does fit. He plays his role, right? What I have seen is LeBron still gets to, he still gets to just uh, canvas and play a lot of off-ball and catch his breath on defense because Crowder does give maximum effort. So Thompson definitely on the bench. And I think he fits nice with the, you know, with that group of, you know, Channing Fry and Kyle Corver and Derek Well, isn't Rose. he taking Chan- Channing Fry's minutes though? I mean, whose minutes is he taking? Well, I guess it's, you know, I guess the Flotsam and Jetsam when you got, you know, Os- Osmond getting a few minutes and maybe Green gets a few fewer minutes when they go a bit bigger. Yep. Maybe it's some Fry minutes if Fry misses a few couple of shots and looking like a space cadet or, Again, there's, a, there's enough depth there, right? You know, maybe it's even Shumpert minutes, you know, letting Calderon get a longer run when Derek Rose comes back. So maybe Shumpert goes down and got, you know, more traditional, you know, um, maybe there's some Thompson and Love minutes and letting LeBron, you know, get breathers. So I think, but I, I don't think you disrupt the starting five when you've won 12 games in a row and you've got the, you know, the Hall of Famer and Dwayne Wade saying, look, this is working, right? When Derek Rose comes back, I'm going to stay on the bench. And so I think that's the, you know, he's, whether he believes it or not, he's saying it and he's following through with it. So same, I go the same thing with Thompson. When he comes back, you put him on the bench and let, let the, you know, either let matchups or that Lou and LeBron and the rest, you know, the, who needs rest sort of to, to dictate it. Now, I'd have to really scratch my head to kind of go, what did I see from Thompson? But I remember seeing what you saw, but they were awful. Every, every Cavalier was awful for the first you know, 10 games of the season, Daz. So I kind of go, yeah, he was awful, but wasn't everybody. Um, so I'm going to discount the the first couple weeks of the season in terms of suddenly writing him off, right? If um, LaMarcus Aldridge could look like a, a giant bag of donuts that had been lit on fire um, in the playoffs, and now he's LaMarcus Aldridge arguably, right, probably third-team All-NBA at center. He's played so well this year, so I go – you know what? There's we, we see reclamation all the time, and we see bad streaks all the time. As to the as to the theory of does Thompson make sense? Oh, it's hard for me to say. It, it all goes back to what's the timeline. So does it make sense for this year, 
or does it make sense longer term? So if your question is, does it make sense for them um, with Tristan Thompson to win a title this year? I say unequivocally, yes. You, you want that size. You want the girth. Um, you want him the way he has played in, in seasons past with trying to get extra possessions in that 22 minutes a game when they've got stuff clicking and Thompson's rim running and, and getting extra possessions for wide open shooters on the offensive glass is just a demoralizing presence when he's on his game. So I think they want him because they, they also don't have anything like him on the roster, right? Daz? They don't, you don't have, he, he plays a unique role. He's not like a redundant sort of player where like, you know, if they lost say J.R. Smith or Shumpert kind of right. Okay. Argue a minute for their effectiveness, but they're, they're kind of redundant. So I, he plays a unique role on the team. So I would say if, they're, if their aim is to win a title this year, you don't mess with it. You don't mess with it. You don't trade Thompson at all. You ride it out, see what LeBron does, and then reevaluate in offseason. If, however, this team hadn't won 12 in a row, and they, instead of 17-7, and seven, is that what their record is? Yeah, 17-7, and seven, let's say they were you know, they're floundering at 500. Then you start to seriously question. Then LeBron would be seriously questioning, right? If you're LeBron, you're going... This, is, this isn't here. It's just the, the conversations we were having three weeks ago was, where's the improvement? Where's the talent? Where's the depth? Where's it going to come from? Where's the effort? Do they care? And if this was a 500 club, I think you'd start to entertain those longer-term things with a, with a Delhi and Jabari um, type, of, type of conversation. I just think, too, so I also the, from the point of view of this year, this, this is a team that I think is going to go all in on offense. They're, they're not going to be too worried about defense. And... <laughs> Again, you look at that from the point of view of where does Tristan Thompson fit in? How many minutes do you anticipate he's going to play in a series um, against the Golden State? Maybe he's a point of difference in the, in the series against Boston and he, he's going to be more important there or even against your backs. Uh, but I'm not I'm not sure I, I like him as much in that Golden State matchup. And that's obviously the matchup and even the Houston matchup, for argument's sake. Um that that's the matchups I think they've got to be looking towards, and I just think maybe you know well, I, if, I just, if you're going to go all out on the offense, why not do a trade like this that increases your offensive ceiling anyway, and uh, helps you uh, from a future point of view by getting a younger star like Jabari? Because if if LeBron leaves, and I think they've got to expect that he will leave at the end of this season. I understand that you don't make all decisions based on that, but. Tristan Thompson doesn't make sense on this roster if LeBron leaves, particularly given the salary that they're, they're paying him. But I, I suppose to that argument, you can just as easily get rid of him next year. So it might depend on, on how they think uh, this year's going to pan out. Yeah, at the moment, I, I get that on paper, but at the moment as we speak, um, Delhi is missing from the Bucks. De- they miss they miss Delavadova, right? When guys like Gary Payton... Um, DeAndre Liggins played 41 minutes a few nights ago. Granted, there were some guys out, but DeAndre Liggins is in the rotation. Jets suddenly playing 12, 13, 14 minutes a night, and that second unit just grinds to a halt. So whilst Delhi will never be mistaken for a fucking playmaker, he, he, he dribbles the basketball with fervor and at least starts that. He starts the offense. So he's actually missing from the Bucks rotation. So I go, a player like Thompson um, actually makes the Bucks again, still one of the weakest points. Even with Bloodsoe, they're perilously thin at playmakers and uh, initiators. That's just not a skill that the Bucks have. And and Thompson just doesn't make a ton of sense for the Bucks if they're giving up, um, you know, Delhi Parker. 
So I, I, I get it. I get it from a starting lineup perspective from Milwaukee, and he does. He also provides a role that the Bucks don't have. But I also then think I, I think the Bucks are still in the, in the mindset that uh, it poses enormous salary cap problems to extend Jabari Parker next year. So he's going to get a restricted free agent offer of some, of some sizable number, provided he gets through this season healthy. Um, that that might not be uh, longer than a three-year deal, but you can bet it's going to be a three-year sixty-type deal. Um, that poses significant problems for the for the cap and for their roster. But I think they're they're of the mindset that there's that Jabari is their last chance at a cheap, homegrown quote unquote some some semi superstar to support Giannis. And even though he's got the knee of a right um, of a Brandon Roy. Um, they are going to take the ten percent chance that that knee survives for the next three or four years. Is my is my read in Bucks Nation? Now there's a giant camp of us who want a Jabari traded because we're terrified of the knee that explodes. But that's for a that's for a Bucks pod, not for this pod. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last thing I'd say, I guess, from just quickly from the Bucks point of view, it's, it's a pity that Teletovic. Uh, hasn't been able to stay on the court either because if he was a little bit more durable, maybe he's a, he's a guy that he could be shopping because everyone wants that sort of shooting um, that he could provide, even though he's probably a little bit overpaid um, for what he provides. But he's a guy that you could throw in with Jabari to make up the salary on certain trades, but I just can't see why anyone um, would be going too far down the road there. So, look, one to watch, though. I think it is an area to watch. I still think... Cleveland may make a move, whether it's Tristan Thompson or whoever, I still think there may be some moves to make, but they're certainly playing some good basketball, and we'll talk a little bit more about LeBron, no doubt, when we look at the um, the first quarter season awards. Now here's a, we move to the next team that's on a bit of a streak at the moment, Daz and let me ask you a quick question about notice now, so if you were an alien, and you came down and watch this NBA season with no preconceived notions. Cause, and I ask this because we obviously started this season thinking the Warriors were uh, far and away, and they're still far and away the favourites, and no one was going to um, to challenge them. Uh, maybe Cleveland could get sort of close, but we weren't expecting certainly anyone from the Western Conference to get that close. But if you didn't have that preconceived notion and you just watched this season play it the way it is, who, what team would you choose to be the unbeatable team. If someone just said, look, there's an unbeatable team here that everyone expects to win, I don't think it'd be the Warriors you'd be looking at. What team would you be looking at? I know who I'd be looking at for that sort of a, from that sort of a point of view uh, quarter way through the season. The Boston fucking Celtics. I wouldn't say the Boston Celtics. I would. I, they, they sicken me because they, <laughs> they, they sicken me because they get so much out of every single player. It, 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 it almost betrays it betrays reason and requires you know uh, Ben Falk, Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue's, Zach Lowe with Jeff Van Gundy all together putting their heads together about you know analyzing in ridiculous you know detail how it's actually possible. So I, I know the leading question was leading towards Houston and right far be it I kind of love that style of basketball. I hate the way Harden flops and shoots 20 free throws, but that fucking style is, it's great. It's great and impossibly difficult to defend when it's working, impossibly difficult to defend when it's working. So I wanted to say Houston, but I, having seen, uh, having seen the Celtics um, just calmly take 
a otherworldly performance by Giannis. I mean, Giannis was the best player on the court by a mile the other night. 49, 40 points, nine rebounds, 115 facial dunks. He just Actually, he just, can I ask a question? What's yeah. Giannis got against Aaron Baines? What's Aaron Baines ever done to Giannis? That's funny. It's funny that you say that. I think it was a – it must have just been some physical player, just some jawing, right? Because Giannis is – right. He's got his little mean face, right? But Giannis is a mild-mannered, <laughs> mild-mannered cat. But you're you're right. There's something there. I I wonder if, as I say, Giannis doesn't have any sisters. I wonder if Beans, you know, tried to, you know, to slip one in. But uh, but there's definitely a vendetta, isn't there? So, he just uh, he doesn't seem to like him much. So I, I, if I'm an alien, I think Houston is the most fascinating creature. But I, if I was an alien examining the specimen of the Celtics, I go, wow, that that is a that is the healthy embodiment of the organism. Well, that I is guess thing, to yeah. that point too. I mean, if you watch Gordon Haywood, ostensibly their second best player and potentially their first best player, but we didn't know how good Kyrie was going to go there. Uh, to watch him go out for the season, basically in the first play of the of the first game, and then they're still 21-4, and four, I guess your point does make a little bit more sense in that context when you think they've lost, uh, as I say, arguably their best player, and then they've still gone on this ridiculous run. But I, I, I don't think they're as good as their record suggests. I know that they're, they're winning professional games. They're very well coached. They turn up every night. Um, they're almost sort of the Spurs East at the moment, or the all be the different sort of style of basketball, but just the professionalism. They don't make mistakes um, and, and things like that. Kyrie's playing really well. But I just I think there'll be some regression with the defence. Uh, I'm not necessarily a massive believer just yet in that their record is, is as good as what it shows. I disagree. And I great. Let's let's check back in. Right, well, they play the Spurs this weekend, get, and in so, San Antonio. So then yeah, I'll, I'll give you a much more honest assessment. So that's my caveat, right? Is I have um I have uh I have not not just recency bias, but I've seen the Celtics eight. I've probably seen eight nine Celtics games. I've probably seen two or three full Rockets games, and they were early. I haven't seen a full Rockets game in, in at least two weeks, and so. That's where I go. I'll, I'll couch my. I can only go by the data I have, and I go when I watch this team. Just as you said, without their best or second best player, uh, ridiculous amounts of depth. And I go the other metric for me. You know, I was big on this last year. Was Al Horford looks like he's in shape? Al Horford's dropped a bit of weight, and I hate to say it because it's bleeping donuts, Al Horford. But I'm, now I'm, my head is dropping into my into my palms, and my I'm taking my glasses off and rubbing my temples as I say this, and I go. Al Horford's like the fucking perfect antidote for Giannis. Like he is the perfect. He can can you believe it? Because he just passes the ball so well, and he's big enough to get Giannis's way to be long enough, and he's just smart enough to pick the angles and cut him off at the right, and he's just wily enough to kind of dig Giannis and commit fouls without getting called for it. He's like, oh fuck, like he's fucking playing imperfectly, and I want to hate him, but I go fuck. I wish he was on my team, right? He's been that sort of player. And I go, when Al Horford is playing like Al Horford from, you know, the 60-win Hawks, which was what I've been seeing, is this version of Al Horford, the one I want to hate. I go, that means they're firing all cylinders. And I go, pick your metric. They're managing minutes. Tick. No one's averaging more than 32 minutes. They're developing the rookies. Tick. 
Um, they're getting uh, bench support. Tick, you know, pick your metric on this fucking team. Like, there's not a fault. Like, they're not tired. They're not weak. They're good rebound. They can defend. They score. They can shoot. You're like, pick your metric, and there's not a weakness, at least with Houston, right? Now, granted, they have made significant strides with Lerman and, and Tucker, but that team just doesn't play team defense. Houston plays really great, sometimes amazing possession by possession defense in crunch time, especially if Capella Tucker and, and Luke Richard are in there dialed in and, and Chris Paul is fit. But I go, that's the thing. The whole system, when fucking Rozier is playing minutes and Ojale is playing 14 minutes a game and Daniel Tibor Tease, you know, is playing. It's what? Yeah, but that, look, I've seen this movie before in San Antonio too, Daz. Have you? It, it's nice. It's nice to see these guys come off the bench and you go, wow, look at this guy's playing well, this guy's playing well. It's one thing to do in the regular season. It's another thing to do it in the playoffs. And that's where I think there's going to be another question to be asked and answered for this Boston Celtics team. Yeah, um, look, that's a great can point. Can they bring that in the playoffs? Because I've, I've followed a lot of Spurs teams over the years, always good in the regular season. And even this Spurs team now without Kawhi is on, on pace to win 50 games. Right? I'll just I'll just pose it. This is very, it's a very, very fair point i'll pose it this thing to you is that few teams even your spurs they've been they've been dinosaurs forever right this is a that's a wily 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 team right immensely heady and um, the tacticians beyond tacticians right they win every chess match what what boston has which i'm going to leave open as a variable is they've got two ascending players in Jalen brown and jason tatum who might just keep fucking ascending the way Giannis had done, the way Kawhi had done a couple years before, mm. where from game one to game 91, they just keep getting better. So I leave open that variable. So I'm going to be, I'll go with you on that argument. You know what? If it was with my head to put money on it today, on December the 5th, to say, and you're going to say, um, Daz, there's going to be a seven game series between, right, Boston and Toronto or Boston and, and Cleveland. You know, who's your money on? My money's not going on Boston. It's not. But I go, fuck, those odds for me go slimmer and slimmer as you watch Jason Tatum. Um, I, I, I tweeted out during the game. I said, I think I just saw Tatum yawn before he drained his fourth consecutive three against the Bucks. I mean, the fury of the Bucks defense of Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, and, and Snell running, running amok in the Jason Kidd chaos system. Tatum's like, yeah, okay, I'll just slide over here then. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll just go back this way. Yeah, whatever. Like, to have a 19-year-old so unflappable, at the same time, he's got the yin and the yang, whatever one's the energy, and they'll call me. got Jalen Brown, who is this, he's like Marcus Smart inside of uh, Andrew Wiggins' body, right? He's like the, he's a freak athlete. He throws himself everywhere, completely fearless, um, seems to have like a, just like a, a dog, like a, in a good way, a dog mentality. Every instinct and impulse he acts on, just blah, maximum, maximum physical effort. Whereas Tatum's like the, I don't know, like John Stockton, where nothing, nothing gets to him. So I hate that I say this because it's the fucking Celtics, the <laughs> franchise. I, I'm so close to hating them more than the Spurs, right? Probably even more so. I forgive you for Donahue. Don't, don't conflate the Spurs with Tim Donahue. I hate the Celtics more, but I go, that's how fucking good they are. They've got me. I want to hate them so bad. They're playing so goddamn well. 
Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about it. Well, now, Tatum, but... was, he was naked open on those series against the Bucks because the Bucks yet again overplayed their hand on the pick and roll <laughs> and the lead and play. True. True. Open everywhere. So he, no, he he literally yawned. That wasn't a metaphor. <laughs> he had all day. Um, I mean, just yeah. interesting on Hawthorne, the, the three players that we really picked on, and and you more so than me with a couple of them, was Kyle Lowry, uh, Lamarck Aldridge, and Al Hawthorne. And all three are having really really good seasons uh, thus far. Let's let's hope they can continue it. Um, let's see if they can continue. But my my team, if I was the Aliens, would be the Houston Rockets. I, I think they've looked far more close to the one. And unbeatable is obviously a too strong a word. Yeah, but, right. But the runaway favourites, if you like, uh, for the for the title, particularly since Chris Paul came back. And the, and the stat went around. It was 63 assists, five turnovers in his first eight games back. Um, what I'm liking too is... D'Antoni's staggering the minutes. So they're not actually playing a lot of minutes together. They're starting the games and they're finishing the games where games have been close and there's not really been any games that have been close. The only team that's been able to handle them, interesting enough, was the Raptors, which was a game we spoke about a couple of weeks ago that we both Yeah, awesome game. Really good game. Uh, Houston got a couple. They've got a tough matchup coming up against Utah. We're going to talk about the Jazz in a, in a moment again. But... Uh, I'm just loving what I'm seeing from this team. And when they first signed Chris Paul, um, you may remember, Daz, I was a little bit down on the signing. I wasn't completely convinced. But I did say, look, let's see how they fill out this roster. And when they filled out the roster, I thought, this makes a lot more sense now. And then you see it on the court and you see Mbamute, the plus-minus champion of the year, uh, plus 57 the other day, if you don't mind, Daz, uh, coming off the bench. NBA uh, record. NBA record, that's right, because we were searching the record books for our friend uh, Jan Mahimni last year, but uh, he blew Mahimni out of the way. I still think the Mahimni one was slightly more impressive just um, for the for the state of the game. Um, I'll give you another one too. Omar Sheik played 12 minutes against the Warriors the other day. He was plus 21. <laughs> I was going to say, Mahimni today, he played 18 minutes, two points, two turnovers, five fouls, Plus 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, me, me, anyway. Anyway, we love a good continue. plus one. But I, yeah, that was the one that, that jumped out at me, plus 57. And then, obviously, PJ Tucker's playing really well. Eric Gordon, we, we spoke about earlier in the season. Oh. Um, you want to talk about all the NBA teams. This guy would be knocking on the door for me. Jesus. For all yeah. NBA uh, considerations. Certainly an all-star, uh, the way he's played so far. He has just been outstanding. Uh, and, and there's so you've got playmaking from Harden, you've got playmaking from Eric Gordon, you've obviously got playmaking from Chris Paul. Harden is on another level offensively. Like, but, I didn't think his game could go into another level from what it did last year. He is literally unguardable at the moment, Daz. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Because he can come down, he can pull up on a dime and shoot a three in your face. And he's doing it. Daz, he's shooting. He's shooting forty and a half percent from three this I year. I know, and he walks in the him and Ryan Anderson this season, and Anderson's another guy that has improved his game uh, from last season. So you're looking at it. Gordon's improved, Anderson's improved, Harden, believe it or not, has improved. Capella has improved. Clint Capella is just playing out of his skin. Uh, I love Tariq Black as a signing. I think Tariq Black plays a similar game, albeit as a smaller guy than what Capella does. Nene still comes on and does what he does, which is basically just set illegal screens, 
time <laughs> after time. Uh, but somehow never gets called for it. And then um, you've got the, the PJ Tucker and, and Bar Muta who are just sitting there and they're hitting their shots when they need to and playing good defence. Admittedly, not in the team scheme, to your point earlier, but they're good individual defenders. And Trevor Ariza, well, there's a guy that just, he's never going to be the best guy on the court, never going to be the worst guy, but just a professional turns up, does his job, and he's done it in big moments before in his career, so you can trust Trevor Ariza. Um, I, I, that, that's the only question I have about this team is, I think in the playoffs, if you can game plan for them, I think maybe there's a there's a chance there to slow them down a bit more. Um, at the moment, it's such a culture shock. I mean, can you imagine playing the Spurs and then the Rockets in a back to back at the moment? Like, could you get two more totally diverse ways of playing the, the same essentially the same game? I mean, Houston are going to shoot fifty to sixty three pointers, does. And the and the Spurs they did shoot thirty the other day, but they they're around the twenty mark. They're panning it down low. I mean, it's just such a culture shock to play those two teams. Whereas if you can game plan really for either of those teams, but particularly on the well, Houston I mean, side, I the think ultimate metric for me to to piling on to your praise is that Luke Richard Lermam, as we call him, Baamute, uh, drafted by the Bucks, longtime Buck. Um, he's shooting three three pointers per game attempts. His mm. career, he averages less than, I think, 0.7 attempts per game. He's so basically quintupled or quadrupled his attempts, and he's hitting 40%. So I go, when your defensive stopper is shooting 40% on quintuple his career attempts, you know you're, you know you're in trouble as, as, the, as the opposing squad. You know you're in trouble. Mm. But did you know about Eric Gordon? I go, he, I'm with you because he, he was my... Fuck, he was my player of the year after the first sport night. He was my most improved, my most everything. Did you know he's shooting .401 from the field, 312 from three-point land. He's got a terrible effective field goal percentage, so he's ridiculously inefficient. So maybe what we're remembering is the the great possessions or the out-of-character drives the basket where he slams it down with authority. But he's playing some ridiculously inefficient ball. Um way off his career averages in, in field goal percentage and, and way, way, way down on three-point shooting 31%. What's his points per game? He's at 19, so he's over his career average, 19.4. Yeah, and it's, it's, so taking a lot more shots, just not hitting him as much, okay. And I think it's recently because he was on fire, so in the last last four games... He may have, yeah, he may have gone back since Paul come in as well, who knows. Yeah, well, he's gone six for thirty-three from three-point land in the last mm. four four games. So he's just he's just so you're probably fine yeah. too. It'd be interesting to dig into that because you're probably fine. He's now back to catch and shoot threes, and maybe he he seems to be shooting quite well off the dribble on the threes earlier. Yeah, Whereas now point. with Paul out there, he's not the primary ball handler even in those second units. So now he's more of a catch and shoot guy, and um, you know it's probably worth digging in around those stats. And seeing, um, yeah, what's his catch and shoot percentages? What's his off the dribble percentages? And is he a better shooter off the dribble? You just got yourself some homework there, there <laughs> Having said that, you're not going to take the ball out of Chris Paul and, and James Harden's no, hands for no. him. But I still think he's playing better. Um, and and yeah. you, there's a little, there, there can be a little bit more trust around Eric Gordon. Um, and they've got, you know, it's now a nine man rotation. Um, I think with Tariq Black there as well. Uh, uh, so it's not, you know, you you'd probably not, if Nene goes down, that's not going to be the issue that it was 
uh, in last year's playoffs. So still, as I said, still some question marks over these guys. What happens in... Cl- I want to see them in a close game. I want to see what happens down the stretch in some of these close games. But just watching them in the flow of the game, particularly Harden at the moment, I just... When him and Anderson step into the, the arena, they're in range. I mean, they're, they're three, four foot outside the three-point line and just no hesitation training yeah. shots. And it's like, if you've got to defend James Harden that far out, uh, you're in a world of hurt. So I don't know how you defend this team. They're, they're playing an elite defensive team we're going to talk about in a second um, on this week. Now, uh, assuming we're not, nothing else on the rocks, we will move on to that, actually. The, the, the Utah Jazz does, who I uh, adopted earlier in the season, then I threw them aside, now I've adopted them again. Um, <laughs> they'd won six in a row. They probably should have won seven in a row. They were leading today in OKC by 17. Seemed to have the game well in hand and then just ran out of the path. To OKC's credit, they played some, certainly lifted their defensive intensity in the last quarter and played much better on the offensive end for the last quarter. They were terrible up until that point. But uh, they, they ran some nice plays down the stretch and couldn't get in Mello in the post a couple of times and he hit a few shots. Um, but I continue to be impressed by the player Donovan Mitchell. As if it wasn't for Ben Simmons, I think it would be a fascinating discussion about Rookie of the Year at the moment. And if Mitchell keeps playing like this, he might still get in the conversation. Um, he came out and scored 41 points uh, a couple of days ago and you think, OK, um, that was 41 points. Great performance by a rookie, but he's a rookie. He'll come back down to earth. Well, since that point, he scored another 24, and then he got 31 today against OKC. And OKC, that's no sledge. And he was the primary defender on Russell Westbrook for probably around 50%, I would imagine, of Westbrook's possessions. Him and Rubio sort of shared that role, but he was taking Westbrook on a lot of possessions. So this is a guy that's taking on big defensive assignments, Utah looking to him down the stretch. This is a team that's in the playoffs. It's not like Devin Booker putting up stats on the Suns. I mean, this is a kid that's really showing me something. I mean, have you caught much of Donovan Mitchell or the Jazz during that six-game win streak? I have um, a couple of times. Yeah, so I was I was interesting. I was asking about the comp for Mitchell because he's a tricky one. Um, he's a bit of a bit Gilbert Arenas because he kind of has that explosiveness, but. He's kind of got the shooter, but he's he's probably a little bit better ball handler than Gilbert. So um, I've been keying on Mitchell, partially because he's on my fantasy team, but just because he's a he's a fascinating character, right? When we, you know, when we first began the season, we looked at you know all the massive changes in the rosters. That's why players like Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner were quite fascinating to us, right? D'Angelo Russell, fascinating, and so forth. You know, the the, the subtraction of um, George Hill and and Hayward made Mitchell as a rookie with all kinds of physical potential, one of the more fascinating players in the league for me, you know, with this crazy, amazing, deep rookie class. And so I, I don't love watching the jazz play. I'll be honest. There's sometimes, you know, a full body dry heave set to music. Let's be honest, you know, for long stretches there, it was Ricky Rubio leading the team in shots, shots taken. And well, that has changed. I mean, that, that's been has. one of the big things yeah. that has changed during this run. Yeah, so they're creating more offense, and you're right. It's because it's it's Mitchell, it's Mitchell creating a lot of the offense. So I saw them. Uh, a really interesting game was the the game against the Pels. Uh, that was probably 
four or five nights ago, which was the night he scored 41. So I was at home. I think I was tweeting you while that was happening. Like, Daz, get back to your computer. Like that game, the Pels were up big. You know, they had a, they had a big lead. They were up by like 12 or 14 at halftime. The lead got to 17, 18. And the, you know, the Utah crowd was going to sleep or, or praying or, you know, whatever, playing the game, count the black guys, you know, something like that. It was just like one of those, one of those awful, you're just like, Oh my God. You know, when pick the name of anonymous uh, anonymous player on the Pelicans is playing well, you just like kill me. And then Mitchell took over. He absolutely took over. Where possessions where he just wheeled the basket in, where he's just like, you know what, fuck it. There's a 17 point game. We need to get this down to single figures, and he did it. And then crunch time, he was creating offense and creating in transition and stepping back from three. And he was just. He was the total engine room, the initiator, the energy. You know, he, he sort of plays like a college kid. Like, he almost wanted him to, when he's going back on D, to slap the floor. You know, like Steve Wojciechowski at Duke, you know, slap the floor to, you know, get the get the team fired up was kind of the role he played. And it's just so fun to watch. So, yeah, the Jazz and Inglis and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but it's all, the whole story is the coaching and the evol- the coaching changes around to let Donovan Mitchell to give him the leash, but then give him the confidence and get the team around him to adapt to his style of play. That's not fucking easy. That's not easy to have Rook come in and suddenly, right, start shooting the ball 20, well, 25 times. It'd be interesting to talk to him internally and say, look, Gobert goes down. You're already, they were in the process of losing, I think it was eight out of 10 games. Did they just say, look, let's give the reins to Donovan Mitchell? Like, if if we lose a heap of games, end up in the lottery, who cares now? We're, our season might be well and truly over. Or did they see something from this kid and say, let's let's give him the reins because we think he can help us win games? I think that that would be an interesting thing, whether they've just stumbled onto this um, to sort of give him more. Because, I mean, where are you going if Ricky Rubio's um, leading the team in shots and things like that? Yeah, look, who I, I, it's a good question. And I part of me just says, if you looked at his game log, right, and you saw the first six games of his season, which is, you know, terrifying to probably anyone. You know, Lonzo was all over the place. Markel Fultz, you know, freaked out and left and whatever got chicken wing or whatever his injuries called. And, you know, there's, you know, the rookies, it's not easy. It's not easy to come in and, and add value right away. And Josh Jackson was invisible. So the entire top of the draft was pretty much invisible. And and then, so he, his, and Mitchell's, you know, not the top of the draft, but the lottery pick, but, you know, number 13, but obviously highly touted. And his first week was terrible, like one for sevens and three for 11s and, you know, four turnovers, five turnovers, three turnovers is terrible, right? This, which just looks like a guy who doesn't know what game he's playing. And then suddenly at that first taste of success, you know, game eight or game nine. We saw the game, Des. We watched it together against Portland. He had 28 the Portland, points. The Portland game, that's exactly right. That's right. You're like, whoa, there's your flash, right? There's your flash. And then he followed up against Toronto in a hard-fought a loss against Toronto um, shortly thereafter, and then pretty much since then, right, it's just taken, he's gotten consistency, um, except for the 3-for-21 game. <laughs> Everyone's due a Kobe night, 3-for-21, and they only lost by 7, right? So I didn't I didn't see the 3-for-21, but you know what? He's um, His shot number of attempts have been consistent. Um, he's not getting to the line very much, except for that one game that I saw. So you can tell he's avoiding contact. He's got a bit of the Jabari Parker syndrome. Was 
perhaps so athletic. He's so accustomed to. He is. He's he's so he's so quick. Guy. I mean, I saw Roberson. There, Roberson, an elite elite defender. Roberson couldn't yeah. stay in front of him today at times. Roberson was other hacking. Times he was. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Roberson's arms were flying back. So, anyway, it's all about. I think it's his. If you race his first, it'd be fun to race his first seven games and look at what his averages are. But for a kid. Right, twenty-one-year-old kid, seventeen points a game. You know, positive sixteen, seventeen per to be the man to be crunch time, and it's just the moments aren't too big for him. Now, again, that does come with right is a very different moments than Jason Tatum's moments, which are right. You know, these are against New Orleans and you know Clippers and Denver and you know so forth that we're seeing Mitchell. Um, not that the, the Celtics November games are any more important, but. You know, it feels like there's a lot more to lose in Boston, right? When you when you got a record like that, but um, you know, he's he's certainly making his case for for Rookie of the Year. Certainly making his case. You know, I think Simmons has still probably got the lead, but man, oh man, oh man, in terms of affecting wins and losses, you can't ignore what Mitchell's been doing. Yeah, I mean, and just just so he scored the 41 against New Orleans, and as I said, the, the thing that really impressed me was he backs it up with 21 in a win over Washington. And that was a win where he didn't even play big minutes because they just blew Washington out. He played 25 minutes in that one. And then the 31 today. And I'll contrast that with, say, Aaron Gordon. And now Aaron Gordon had a massive game. He had 40 points against OKC in the big win. And I watched parts of that game, and I was blown away by Aaron Gordon. I thought, this is a, who cares that Blake Griffin's injured unless you're a Clippers fan where we can watch this guy? Because he looked like the fully realised version of Blake Griffin because Griffin's never really had that much range to his game where he's out there shooting through. He's the way that um, Aaron Gordon was in that one. 40 point and 15 rebounds as well, by the way, as long with four assists, four steals. It was just an unbelievable performance. And then he backs it up with, goes one from six from three against the Knicks. Oh, he did have 29 points in the blowout loss against the Warriors. Uh, he has 10 points against the Knicks and only 14 against Charlotte and did not play well yeah. in either game. Shot 3 of 11 against the Knicks, 4 of 15 against Charlotte. So consistency is critical. And for a young player, and I'm not suggesting Aaron Gordon's not going to get there either, but for a young player, you just don't expect after one big game that they're just going to back it up and just keep producing. And Mitchell's shot, he's, he, the, um, the mechanics of his shots look so beautiful. When you watch it, and this was not a guy that that came in where people were talking about his offense. This was a guy that was a defense first player, give you give you a little bit of playmaking. No one expected this. I mean, this is to me one of the biggest surprises that, of any rookie class that we've seen for a number of years. Yeah, look, you hear a lot, and hear a lot, probably more in baseball. You hear the thing about um, relief pitchers, where it's all about knowing your role. And they go through the routine, right? Where you know it, it's a certain inning in a certain situation, which means you're going to get up in the in the pen and throw your relief pitches, and then you're going to come into the game, pitch your inning, and then you're going to go. Just routine, right? You know the triggers, you know the circumstance, you know your routine. You go perform, and you're done. And the power of routine, and you hear you hear about the rituals that the players have, right? Their pregame rituals and warm ups and and superstitions, but just the power of routine. And what I observe, just the box scores of Donovan Mitchell, especially for a rookie, this tells me a lot about the wisdom of a Quinn Snyder, is if you, I just did a quick scan here, Daz, if you look at the number of minutes, just look at the number of minutes he plays, right? You know, he's starting now. 
Look at the close games. Donovan plays 36, 35, 36, 35, 37, 36, 37, 36, 36 in the close games. Yep. Those are the number of minutes he plays in the in the blowouts, right? The Washington was a 47-point game. They trucked Denver by 30-something. The, the Bucks they game was only— Bucks. Well, they, were, they only won by 13, but that game wasn't as close as 13 points, right? Hmm. And the games where they're blowing them up, 26, 29, 26, 26, 26, 25. So what that tells me, right, is that he's got very, very clear rotations. He knows exactly when he's going to play and when he doesn't. And as a young guy, to have that consistency every night, that gives you confidence. Not only in the confidence that the coach believes you can perform, but just that inner confidence that, you know, you're not sitting there going, hey, you have a three for 21 night. Oh, shit. Am I going in the Jason Kidd doghouse? Am I going in the Doc Rivers doghouse, right? Mm-hmm. Am I going in the Eric Spolstra, you know, doghouse to send a message? It's that Quinn has looks like he's giving him very, very specific rotations and specific timing. And I go, that's what I see when I see him. You see a guy who's not nervous. He's not calm. He's not worried about – see, I still, that's what I'm almost the antithesis. I'm the one disbeliever in Dennis Smith. I see nervy energy from Dennis Smith. I see, I see try hard. I see – like doing too much to jump over screens and committing dumb fouls. I see highlight, like I see Dennis Smith. He's still in way in his head for whatever reason. I don't know, but I contrast, you know, I hear all the hype about Smith and I go, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not seeing the, the calm that comes with a young guy figuring out how good he can be. Mm. And I know we've probably spent 15 minutes rambling on Donovan Mitchell accidentally, but it is a, it's an awesome story. And I, we could probably spend 15 minutes on every amazing rookie, but he's absolutely stood out, and I just can't, I can't believe it. He's almost, he's almost Al Horford surprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on. That ends our sort of good part portion of of the show tonight. Let's move on to the bad. Now, the first thing I wanted to touch on, and very briefly, really, was the David Fisdale firing in Memphis. A lot going on in Memphis at the moment, including a, an interesting ownership situation. Um, if you listen to the Dunked On podcast, they did a really good breakdown of the the ownership machinations that are going on. There's also a good article that Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorse wrote together in 2016, if you can get hold of that. So it's very complicated situation that I won't go into too much here, but that potentially plug into part of this firing as well because they really need to just keep this team as competitive as they can um, in the interim. And obviously Mark Gasol, a very popular member of the team uh, who wasn't getting along, apparently hadn't spoken to Fisdale in about 10 months. So uh, when Fisdale benched him uh, in the game against Brooklyn, part of an eight-game losing streak, uh, they, they felt enough was enough. So Fisdale was shown the door. Daz, was that a surprise to you? It came as a bit of a left-field sort of thing for me, but I guess when you heard everything else that had been going on, not quite as surprising as when, I guess, you first read the headline. Totally, I was totally blindsided. I, I don't obviously follow the... Um, I, I follow Chris Vernon a bit, you know, and I don't listen to him as much this year. Is Chris Vernon gone from the ringer? No, I think no, he still does the the NBA pod there. Yeah, I don't listen to it. So Vernon, right, a Memphis guy. So I didn't follow it that closely. I was totally blindsided. And in a way, I was impressed that um, it was almost somewhat impressed that such a toxic relationship was kept 
that quiet for that long, the relationship he had with Gasol. So, mm. um, and it's just interesting now to hear kind of the, it's a tricky one because Fisdale comes from the, uh, he's the Spolstra disciple, isn't he? I've got that. Yeah, right. So hugely well-respected. And so right then when guys like LeBron and and D Wade, right. So Fizz was a, a assistant in Miami when, when um, the big three were down there and it's an interesting one. It'll be, see where his, it'll be interesting to see where his career goes from here. Like to what extent, you know, players talk, but is, you know, what, what sort of authority influences a guy like Marcus, excuse me, a Marcus all have on the players that will, that's for me going to be the interesting question. Cause if this is a horrible relationship with LeBron, like David Blatt, boy, you, you're going to need a number of years before you can go back into the league. Right. Mm. But Marcus Saul, right. You know, testy Spaniard, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's not a, not one of the boys, you know, not one of the guys, but my God, he's beloved by, you know, by his teammates and, um, by his, by his, by his, by his fans and, and more specifically beloved by Mike Conley. Um, well, we're led to believe they have an, it looks like they have a great working relationship. So that for me is the, probably the in, more interesting part is I was totally blindsided. Now what's it going to mean for his career? And, and what's that, I guess, mean for the trade market and these early murmurings now with, with adding the Fisdale stuff and the instability of an interim coach um, Conley's injury and a team going sideways, do they start to entertain a trade for Gasol? So I, it sounds like they put that to rest, but it's hard to, I think the, um, is it Wilcox, Chris Wilcox, a GM would Chris Wilcox. Yeah. I got that right. Yeah. yeah. Was there Chris Wilcox that played for the Clippers? Anyway, um, I'm on my fourth stone IPA. So all the names <laughs> we're, we're going to see Wilcox here soon, but, uh, you haven't it's mentioned be, Alan Wiggins yet, so you're all right. It's going to be Alan Wiggins, you know, the, the cocaine fiend from the Padres. <laughs> he plays for the Wolves as well. And the murmurings around the trade rumors, right? And the delicate balance that goes, again, I, as a Bucks fan, watch this keenly, right, to see when you got such a, a rabid but small fan base and a very dedicated fan base and, you know, a 50-win season is probably a success in this market every single year. And so I watch this dynamic. So I go when I watch and see the, the the Giannis versus kid relationship. And I think all small market teams probably look at this as a, you know, an example of what can happen and who wins and how is it, how is it sort of unfolding? So um, uh, I have no doubt. It probably seems like though, I bet if that relationship was that toxic, they're probably a lot happier. They just can't win games because they don't have Mike Conley. It's not a, it's not a deep team at all. And, Again, now another sidebar, what this has kind of raised for me, the not quite like Aaron Rodgers being hurt on the Packers, exposing, you know, the uh, the frailty of a franchise in terms of wins and losses. But Mike Conley going down, just exposing the frailty of this club and the, the failed draft picks they've had over and over and over and just sort of saying, what does this roster have and are they crazy? Do they have any choice but to do a Paul George type of trade with a Gasol. Well, I don't um, think so. I mean, Gasol wants to be there. So it's not like a, a Paul George situation where he's saying, I want out. And as Chris Vernon said, I listened to Chris Vernon on this last week, and he said, what's the point of blowing it up anyway? I mean, you, you're hoping for uh, it's maybe a top four pick. But they, I mean, we just 
finish, what, 15 minutes talking about Donovan Mitchell, not to go back to that again, but it just goes to show you can find good draft picks even in that sort of 10 to 15 range. I guess, <laughs> Daz, you won't be too happy to hear this, but uh, Boston Celtics do own one of Memphis's first-round draft picks. Uh, <laughs> in I think it's 2019. So... Um, and it's unprotected, so... Yeah, I know. That's a bit of a worry, yeah. too. And it's interesting, and Vernon was actually going off on a, on a real rant about the Boston um, people in the media all, all saying that they should trade Marcus Hull. He's saying, yeah, I know what they want to do. They want to trade Marcus Hull to Boston, and then Boston get our pick. And so Boston end up with the best of both worlds. Um, so, But no, I don't think it makes any sense to be entertaining a trade for Marcus Hull unless you can get a, a, some re- a really good haul of future assets back. And I just don't think anyone's going to be giving up that for a 32-year-old uh, big man who can be a bit grumpy in the in the dressing room as well and the, you know who presumably the next stop he goes to is not going to be the, the main feature in the offense uh, the way he would but- be in Memphis. Who says no? The Cleveland Cavaliers, Marcus Saul for the Brooklyn unprotected pick. Who says no? I think the Memphis say no. Really? Well, it's, what, what is it? It's a, oh, is it the top five pick? Six, five, yeah. Six or seven, maybe. It could be as low as six or seven. Um, it could yeah. be number one with the ping pong balls, right? Well, it could be. And then they could pick a shame for the, for the beat again. They could get Sham God, Sham God. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, look, there's getting the number one pick or the no, number I just, two picks. I, I just, I, no I want, guarantee I gotta, for I success. Come to my own, sorry, I'm, 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 no, I'm with you where, where you were going previously with the Chris Vernon. It's like I just need, I need Boston not to be this good, and so I, I can't, I can't, ha- I can handle now LeBron and the and the and the Dubs for for next decade. I'd be happy with that and the fucking Celtics being good and the problem is i can't hate them i i just need a give me a bird or a mikhail or a dj or an ainge or a parish a five cunts that you wanted to hate i don't even have one they're awesome like who doesn't love watching Kyrie play jason tatum's a lovely kid Jalen brown's like the the quiet one. god yeah just look, look if you want to hate the celtics him. still just look into the crowd when they scan around in breaks <laughs> and play that's all you need to do to hate right. the Celtics. Let's get talk a bit, few more bads, and then I'll throw another fake trade at you, Daz, because, um, well, the, the big injury news, of course, is um, Kyle Anderson out for two weeks with a sprained MCL. Um, what a dick. <laughs> it's huge news. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the big news. Uh, Steph Curry, in, in sort of lesser news, he's also out for two weeks with a sprained ankle, suffered against uh, New Orleans. Uh, Kevin he's Durant... Up. Uh, is that the one on the on Dallas? No, that's Steph Curry, not Seth. Seth's oh. still out. Seth hasn't played all year. Uh, he's still out. So, yeah. and to the surprise of no one, the Los Angeles Clippers season is falling apart. Uh, they've uh, although Gallinari is supposed to be back this week, but Patrick Beverly now out for the season. Uh, Blake Griffin out for two months after Austin Rivers dropped the people's elbow straight on his knee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, Daz. That was Please, every listener, all four of you, do yourself a favor and, and, and get the clip of Austin Rivers sitting. Because slowly it was like. Actually, it was, it was more like the Yokozuna finishing move if you're on WWF. 
<laughs> if you're a WWE fanatic, look back in the it was, day, <laughs> it was no Superfly snooker, That's for sure. It was, it was, a, it was a slow moving. Uh, oh God, what? Uh, anyway, yeah, go so, watch that. That's clip of the year. Well, but, the Clippers. Oh, so the Clippers yeah. nowadays, it's all over for them. I mean, this is a team where I guess the talk about blowing it up does make a bit more sense given that, that DeAndre Jordan's a free agent in the off-season uh, and unlikely to sign there again, you would think. So from from that point of view, they can now look and say, okay, where uh, are the... I don't know about... I'm going to challenge that because it's $24 million option and he's not getting, he's not getting well, anywhere near that. Right? That's like, true, but I guess... It, well, I'm not so sure about that. I mean... It, it just depends on if a team thinks that they that's the piece that they need. I still think he could he he'll get a decent offer in. in um, I think he'll get a Greg. He'll get a Greg Monroe. He'll get a three years fifty. He'll yeah, get I don't. A, th- I mean, he might not get. But don't forget, length length of contracts can sometimes be better than just having the one year of the twenty four mil. Yeah. Um, the yeah. interesting news coming about, and I hate to go back to the Bucks days, but it, it is relevant to the Bucks. Are you familiar with Jeff Schwartz as an agent? Oh, pretty much every player on the Bucks is Schwartz, and Kidd is Schwartz, and Middleton Schwartz, and Richard Vaughn, Richard uh, Vaughn Maker. Yeah. Um, I mean, he helped he helped cover up Thon Maker's uh, birth certificate details, so he's he knows where the bodies are buried in Milwaukee. Oh, Thon Maker doesn't have a birth certificate. He's <laughs> he's South Sudanese. Come on now. So. I get a bit sensitive. Yes, so DeAndre Jordan didn't have an agent for a better part of a year and just hired Jeff Schwartz. Yeah. So there's yeah. now talk, obviously, people are putting the two and two together and, and linking him to the Bucks. Here's another fake trade for you, Daz. Uh, John Henson, Jabari, and Thon straight up for DeAndre Jordan. Who says no? Well, that's way too much for Jordan because he's on an expiring right. So I go. Well, if he, he's on the but to your point, he probably opts in if he goes to the Bucks. So now you've got him for a year and a half. And look, yeah, look if he, if, he, if they if get in, just to, but, just to finish the point, sorry, but if if they get yeah. DeAndre Jordan this year, the Bucks, they're they're a chance to go to the finals, aren't they? Or am I am I putting too much value in him? Well, you're. I just saw them out rebound of forty five fucking twenty eight against the Boston Celtics. Daz, I think what you say is you introduce upside and you introduce downside, because right, what you he feels an enormous need on the defensive glass and the offensive glass for that matter. He's really athletic. He's in when he's motivated, and I think he would be surrounded by Giannis and Chris and Bledsoe. He'd be a really motivated defender. They are an elite defensive team if it works. Right, they'll still have their nights where they give up 115, you know, unguarded three pointers. But they're also going to have their nights where they overwhelm you, and they, you know they they'll, they can crush Cleveland when they're when that defense is clicking. So they make themselves an elite, elite defensive squad with that. But what he doesn't do, right? He's he can't shoot beyond two feet. He's pick and roll, rim run, and what that does is that clogs shit for Giannis. Giannis isn't. You don't want Giannis off ball. Right, he can't stand in the corner or wait for a, you know, back screen secondary movement. Like Giannis off ball is not effective, Giannis. So we saw Giannis, you know, breathe fire and go for forty and nine against Boston when he was def- he was defended really, really well. 
and hit an amazing game. But he needs the ball in his hand. He needs to be in a pick and roll. So that's the big criticism of a DeAndre is that maybe he's great for, you know, the 15 minutes or the 12 minutes that Giannis is resting and then a clunky, clunky, clunky connection um, during the first quarter and perhaps an unplayable risk because he's still not a free-throw shooter, you know, later in the fourth. So elite defensively in theory, but also a lane clogger and a late-game risk. So that 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 package you suggested is way too much. Um, but I think but the way theory... too much in what sense? I mean, I don't th- I, I don't think Jabari's back in Milwaukee next year. I, I well, he's like RFA, so he's, I think I, I think it's a the cap will dictate that. So the, this trading deadline will dictate a lot about I think what's possible with Jabari. I think he'll uh, get a decent. I think someone will so, roll the dice, and I don't think it'll be Milwaukee. Guess what? I, that's what I'm saying. But that, that's where they need to clear at least. You need a minimum of clearing one of Delhi, Telly, or Henson, and more likely two. Um, but they have bird rights on him, so they can go over the cap. But they're so close to the tax. There's a whole cap situation. But but the 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 talk was the value about the right value is Henson and Brogdon for DeAndre on his contract. Right? That's about the right value. A young kind of upsidey 23, 24-year-old guard like like Brogdon, a guy who can play minutes in Henson. He can play the center and he can play minutes. He's, you know, he's not really got any upside, but he's a serviceable backup. Like that felt about right for the what could be a rental for for DeAndre. Yeah, Anything but then the Clippers. Why would the Clippers do that deal? Yeah, right. Don't know. So the to Clippers, get, at least, if get you're getting and, Jabari and you're getting Thon, you're getting some upside potentially. I'll tell you the, there. I'm not liking what I'm seeing. I don't see much development from Thon this year. Maybe you've seen something I haven't. I, I, no, I haven't. I think he's gone backwards. His defense is good, but he's he's got his offense has not developed at all. That's that's the worry for him, right? He was the uh, his draft express was the kid with the handle who was, you know, going between the legs and shooting pull-up 20-footers. And th- that handle, and he's just, you can't trust him with the ball in his hands. And he's gotten himself pretty effective at mid-range jumpers, but he's he is lost on offense. He's got nothing. He looks like a deer that's just been born, and they just, you know, where they stumble around a bit and look lost. That's, they do. That's, that's yeah. He's got the embryonic fluid dripping off his elbows, and you're just like, <laughs> You know, he's maybe. I mean, last last season was year thirty two for him, so maybe that was his peak at year thirty three. He's a bit yeah. Look, he's getting a bit tired. He's got a lot of lot of tread in the tires. No, he's not developed. But I there's way too early to give up on a guy with his with his raw tool set. So um, so anyway, I don't think DeAndre is a great fit in in Milwaukee. I think it's great on paper. Um, I think that risks. I don't think this team can afford to go start giving up young assets. Not yet. Not yet. Not until they figure out Jabari and their cap. Not yet. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll take the opposite view, but I'll be interested to see, I guess, what internally what the Bucks are thinking. Um, and no doubt that that's how it will play out. Um, and, and that's how we'll know, you know, as, as this season goes on, whether they're active at the trade deadline and obviously even leading in the next year's free agency, um, what sort of uh, ability they have to bring other people in and help um, Janice out. And maybe this is a season where they say, look, let's make a proper assessment of kid, let's make a proper assessment of this roster and see where we're at. And not much point mortgage in the future if you don't think Jordan pushes you over the top. Um, but I, I think the the ceiling of this team raises if you bring John Joe Jordan in. But 
to your point, maybe, maybe there's going there, there's certainly some some negatives and positives uh, to bring him in that we'll see. Yeah. From there. Um, let's move on to the ugly, Daz. Um, the main things that I wanted to talk about with the ugly, the first thing is just there's something that I continually seeing from guys, and I see it in Minnesota almost every game the time they're in a close game. Guys passing up open threes to then wait for the defender to come over just to then take a step back three. That generally in Minnesota's case, they they clank straight off the rim. Um, I saw Carl Anthony Towns do it against the Wizards, and this is the Wizards with our team ball. Sorry. The game they should have won. There's our secret sound for the night. Listeners at home. <laughs> <laughs> There's... Uh, and so he hits the ball. He's wide open for three days. Uh, they were down two at the time. Can't, so Otto Porter comes out to him. He then fakes Otto Porter. Otto Porter bites on the fake. So then he puts the ball on the floor and you think, okay, now he's going to be able to take it to the rim. Take it to the rim. You get two, maybe you get fouled, maybe you pass it off, whatever. It opens up a lot of options. No, he doesn't. He takes two dribbles. Then he comes back out, takes a step back, heavily contested three, which barely grazed the rim. And I just, and I, and it's not only Carl Anthony Towers doing it. There's a lot of players that now seem to want to take, pass up an easy shot to take a more difficult shot. Just this, I don't know, I mean, is it, is it about big name himself? Is, it, is there a degree of difficulty or something that goes into how these points are scored? I mean, are you seeing the same thing? I mean, what does it frustrate you? Well, I see it the other way too, where I see the open three and they catch and take a half step in and then they're suddenly shooting a 22-foot or two-point shot as well. So um, as a former professional basketball player, I can tell you <laughs> there's, there's an instinct, there's a habit. It's just a habit of catch dribble shoot where the just the seams of the ball the position in your hand so sometimes when you catch the ball it's you know a little bit maybe it's you catch it on your hip or you catch it on your chest or you catch it on your right hip or you catch it by your knees and you've got to you got to like literally pull it up to your shooting motion it's just almost more fluid to dribble dribble reset and up right so the dribble catch and shoot is a fluidity. So that's all I see, Daz. You're right. It should frustrate you as a fan watching a guy earn $20 million a year not be able to break that habit. But it's just a habit. It's just a, something from the school ground from age five. It's just that feel, right, for the ball and shooting it up. So that's what I see. And just that's a coaching thing. But for me, Minnesota, they're turning into my Charlotte, where my Charlotte of 2016-17, which was the most frustrating team in the league to watch, where this team can't, they literally haven't won back-to-back games since they beat the Mavericks, right, a month ago. It was loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. No consistency. Yeah, well, they're 14 no. and 11, but they're just not playing. That's, That's... the worst 14 and 11. Oh. That is a, you know, they're just, look, there's just no excuse, right? There's no excuse for um, someone at this stage of his career, right, Carl Anthony Towns isn't a rookie anymore. This is what year three, year four, mm. right? Yeah. Look again. He's only twenty-two years old. Sorry, this is only year three. But year three, yeah. But you just can't. You can't have games like he had today. Thirty-eight minutes. He took six fucking shots, made two of them, right? He scores seven points, commit four fouls, and you lose a game to the 
the te- the toothless, feckless team who we just bagged on for 20 minutes, the Memphis Grizzlies. You just can't. You can't. You can't insert yourself or in any sort of all NBA-ish type conversations or hell, even all-star conversations and have games where you literally disappear. I'd rather you do Donovan Mitchell three for 21 than this invisible two for six in 38 minutes with no effect. Well, this is the problem with Minnesota I'm seeing too. They're sort of the the opposite of Houston in this sense. We talked earlier about Houston not having a team defensive scheme. These guys have no team offensive scheme. And whatever they're doing on defensive end is not working anyway. The only reason I think they're they're putting up points on offense is just from the individual talent that they have. But get them in a close game, and there's no leadership, there's no direction. You know, Jeff T can't run the offense. It's just sort of a your turn, my turn. I saw I saw the end of the game against Memphis. How they lost the game, I'll never know. Um, against that Memphis team, and it was just Jimmy Butler was drove and then threw the ball straight out of bounds. Uh, you know, I think Towns took a um, turnaround at one point. Like, it was just... And, and Wiggins didn't even touch the ball. He just sort of stood out in the corner looking bored. And you just think, what is going on with this team? I, I cannot work it out. Um, and I just think, at some point, they're going to have to look at Thibodeau and say, maybe Thibodeau's just not the right coach for this team. I wonder. <laughs> Remember, he was my pick, my sneaky pick for coach of the year to to gel this team and get most out of Wiggins and Towns, but it is not, not happening. It is not happening after what are 25 games. It is, it is absolutely not happening. You'll, just to your, one of your points to pick on the ugly Jeff Teague today, two fucking assists. You play 32 minutes and have the ball in your hands the whole game. You get two assists, right? You take six shots. So you're not, not playing off ball and not shooting it. And you only have two, you only create two shots for other people. Terrible. Just there's a, the in, in Teague's the defense, there not. are too many black holes on that offense. Though once Teague passes the ball, it doesn't come back to him. Well, that go that, that's the thing that goes back to coaching. That's what I'm saying. I, mm. I'm with you on the <laughs> scheme, so I'm 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 agreeing with you. Right? So I'm saying another data point why I think that scheme is broken is you look just look at pure simple box score. Forget shot chart. Forget sets. Forget matchups. I go when Jeff Teague plays 32 minutes, only shoots six times, which tells me. He's not playing off ball, right? He's with playing on ball, and he only has two assists, right? That means he's throwing at Taj Gibson. When Taj Gibson has 11 field goal attempts and you only have six, and Carl Anthony Towns has six, and I'm sorry, Mark, Mark Gasol is good, but Mark Gasol wasn't like, you know, inside Carl Anthony Towns' jock all game, right? And if you're supposed to be a good player, you know, Towns needs more than six fucking field goal attempts. John Henson, you know, can shoot up his, you know, you know, praying mantis vomit shot 11 times a game, that one-handed, you know, shovel shot, whatever that is. It's, you know, anyway, I, they're, they're, they're officially in my Charlotte Hornets 17 category of my most frustrating team. Mm. There's so much talent, bad coaching, bad effort, Towns disappearing, Wiggins being Wiggins, which is when you need a spectacular, uh, spectacular athletic play, he will make one you don't expect coming, a chase down, a dunk, a three, an amazing putback, but if you need an executed set or a smart inbounds play, he ain't there. Mm. He ain't there. So this just, these are like really, really, really talented Michael Carter Williamses. These, I, I'm afraid to say, Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns are looking like they're looking like jarheads, man. They're just not. They, because I'm, I'm almost, I'm, I'm also giving Tibbs credit. I go, let's assume Tibbs has been, had an awesome career, and Tibbs can still communicate and draw X's and O's, and coach, and choose a staff, 
and develop guys. So I go, for me, this also can't just lay the blame on Tibbs. So maybe there's some blame on Tibbs in terms of X's and O's as schemes, but part, I'm going to lay the blame on the players' lack of development on on these two kids, Towns and Wiggins. They're just not. They're yeah, just well, not. The problem for them is they've signed Wiggins now, so that you you're living with that. Towns is not going anywhere. The clock's ticking on Jimmy Butler, whether he'll leave for agency in eighteen months' time. Um, to me, oh, I, I think. And, the, and the thing about this term is, if they're no good defensively. Then why is Thibodeau there? Because Thibodeau's not an offensive-minded coach. He should be clearly. Yeah, you know, he he needs to have this team playing good on defense. And look, we know Thibodeau can coach. No one's suggesting he can't coach. That that's that's a ridiculous suggestion. But some coaches just can will not fit for certain teams. And maybe this is not the squad that's going to respond best to his coaching. Um, I hope he turns it around. Like Thibodeau, I'd love to see Minnesota do well, but just I'm not encouraged at all by what I'm seeing um, thus far from them. Another area I wasn't encouraged as, I, as you know, I tried to take a day off last week. It was my birthday and there was about, oh, there was a good slate of games on, on on the Friday. But I had one of those moments where a lot of games were at halftime, a couple of other games had finished and I thought there was a game about to tip off and I thought, you know what, it's an NBA game. How bad can it be? I put it on the watcher that was the Suns at the Bulls and as it was every bit as bad as what I would ever have imagined it could be. Was uh, it like was it like watching an NFL game? It wasn't as bad as NFL. It was I'll <laughs> say that. It wasn't quite that bad. Um because I didn't feel guilty watching it. You know, yeah. the, the problem with the NFL is it's not only is it terrible, you also feel guilty for watching it. Whereas I didn't feel guilty for watching this, but I did I did feel like I was wasting a little bit of time um not much of a crowd uh, that that's certainly not a surprise but just no intensity it was just nothing like any other nba game you could see but the reason i brought it up other than to just pile on the bulls who are probably I, I i'm struggling to think of a team with less going for it than what the chicago bulls team has had this year but um i'll bring it up because of um uh, I'll well, bring it up because of the point that Brian Scalabrini made on uh, the um, Vertical podcast with Chris Mannix. And I wanted to get your take on this because he made a statement. And when he made the statement, I thought, I don't agree with that. And then he actually explained the point and, and it made more sense to me. And he said, the Philadelphia experiment was a complete failure. He said it should never have been done and no other team should follow that trajectory and I sort of thought well Philly you're looking all right this year I'm not sure what he's where he's getting at there and he said look he said think about it. he said Embiid wasn't part of the losing Embiid sat out two seasons and hardly played the third season Ben Simmons hasn't been part of the losing he said you look at the some of the guys they drafted some of whom were very high draft picks who went through those losing seasons you had Jahil Okafor, Nolan's Noel, one of your favorites Michael Carter Williams right these are the young guys that went through that Philadelphia system and not one of them has looked good. I mean, Okafor still early days. Noel's been a disaster in Dallas and Michael Carter-Williams, uh, you know, playing, what, 10, 15 minutes a night and looking absolutely terrible in Charlotte. Um, so I, I think it's very dangerous for the Suns and the Bulls to sort of say, well, we're going to go down that path and just be terrible. And to your point earlier with Dennis Smith Jr. in Dallas, it, that's not the path to success. I mean, yes, you might end up with some good draft picks, but it's not the best way to develop talent. I mean, do, do you sort of 
subscribe to the same theory? Um, I've vacillated on this over the years, but I, um, again, it wasn't very long, so it's it's hard for me. It wasn't wasn't very long. I I, I only played competitive basketball right till I was about seventeen, and we happened to always be really good. So I don't know what that was like to, to lose, you know, to go through that. But I can imagine, I can imagine that when I've I've watched enough NBA, where um, I. I also believe in the premise, which we've we've heard loud and clear over the last couple of years, is never, ever forget, especially with Kyrie, never forget people, never forget fans. Hey, never forget pundits, never forget analysts that um, this is a job and players will always look after themselves first and then the team second. Right. So that's just the nature. That's human nature. And it's not wrong. Right. If I'm good at my job, I want to make sure I get as much play and as much time as much uh, opportunities i can to maximize my earning potential full stop yep in those conditions when you've got a team who has number one no hope number two a strategy a, com- a well-communicated strategy that says we don't even want you to have hope right when you have no standard set to you um and all the pressure falls on the, the hardest job in the nba for the for those three years was, was Brett Brown. When all that goes on to Brett Brown trying to just summon, you know, team teamwork and stewardship and camaraderie and sharing and unity, you imagine the he's the lone voice in that in that sort of crowd about hey everyone, get some good habits, share the ball. You know, ball movement, uh, help defense, blah, blah, blah. All the things that manifest themselves when it's a team kind of all in for each other. So as someone who's not literally lived it, but I can I can imagine it, I, I tend to agree with Scalabrini. It's my long way of getting onto it, Daz, to say. Um, so I agree with that. I then also say, look, it's micro sample set. And Nerland's Noel looks like a fuckwit. So good habits or bad habits, he has he has chosen to not take the advice or chosen to take the worst advice from an agent when the center is dying and has been dying. That's why he was drafted where he was and then shipped off during his rookie contract is he's not wanted because he's not valued. Turning down four years, 71 million, right? I mm. talked about it ad nauseum in the offseason. I said toxic situation number one. Dallas Mavericks, uh, a guy who accepts a qualifying offer after turning down a, uh, after turning it down. What do you have? An untenable situation where a player who a wants the most minutes as possible to drive up his value, b a team who doesn't really want him, and the relationship is fractured, and c a player who really, 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 really can't get hurt. So I go, there's your formula for disaster. So I go, I'm not going to conflate um, Nerlens Noel 2017 with the the quote-unquote process that Scalabrini was similarly with Okafor I would I would criticize the process more for really bad drafting less so about the head creation so Okafor similarly why and that's why this is why I think Hinky deserved in a way to be fired a genius for the process genius execution a genius because he was the lone the crazy man um and it worked right it got them bites at the apple he just made really, really bad choices. Okafor, right, has the Greg Monroe game, 
the game that nobody wants anymore. So I don't know if, what the full context or quote of Scalabrini was. It was more about habit creation um, and what that means for this team. Um, but I, I guess I'm uh, – and Michael Carter-Williams is just a knucklehead. Well, right? I He's think it was not- more relevant for Carter-Williams in a sense um, because he, he started the, the delve into some bad habits, I think, even in that The empty stats. The, the empty, the empty stats, yeah. And yeah. I'm seeing it from yeah. Devin Booker. I think you're seeing it with Dennis Smith. Um, you're not really seeing it in Chicago because no one's even capable of putting up stats on that dumpster fire at the moment. But uh, yeah. no doubt yeah. when when um, uh, when uh, Levine comes back, uh, he'll be putting up some empty stats himself um, on that Chicago Bulls team. But he's a bit older, so we, we can forgive him for that. But um, I, I just think, yeah, it's it's an interesting talk about you know, how do you develop young players, particularly in a losing environment. Um, and if you're even seeing it in a place that's been as disciplined over the years as Dallas uh, with a Dennis Smith Jr. And obviously it's early days in his career as well, but uh, it'll be interesting to follow, I suppose, some of these rookies um, that have stepped into some bad situations. Um, and really Phoenix have been a bit of a dumpster fire as well the last few years. So it'd be good to see them bounce out of it and start developing some better habits with some of their players well well yeah maybe we should do a, a rookie check-in as well right because i go we, we talk a lot about you know uh, one the individual the talent the, the, of the guy number two the the team environment they walk into with the, in terms of competitiveness and you know where they're at in the standing and how important are their minutes then three just the pure opportunity right so guys getting minutes or not so brogdon mm. right last year the rookie of the year walked into the perfect, perfect opportunity. A team kind of on the ascent who had no real credible, you know, good point guard. Just the perfect place for him to play his, you know, middle of the pack, 50th percentile game, right? He's not gonna, ever going to be an all-star, um, but he was perfect for that team. Whereas then see guys like, you know, like the Smith or, the, you know, to an extent Jackson going into these, or even De'Aaron. I'm probably more worried about De'Aaron Fox. I'm less worried about Jackson. But especially the point guards, who, like Michael Curtis, who are controlling teams and controlling tempo and mm. dictating pace and setting plays and sharing the ball and doing those things that create unity and you know trust when you're passing the ball and executing. Especially those point guards, I think that's a it's a very fair comment about what's the opportunity have gone into. So mm. I think it's a, probably a good tee up for a future. Yeah, we'll bit. certainly check in with the rookies uh, in the coming weeks. Well, let's let's finish this one off, Daz, with a couple of our awards for the first quarter of the season. Um, we'll start with the, the big award, MVP. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, James Harden, slightly ahead of LeBron. I think LeBron's been fantastic, the two streaky teams we talked about earlier. Um, but what, where's your mind at in terms of MVP for the first quarter of the season? Um, I just, uh, it's funny because I was right. I was of the advocacy last year, more about applaud the brilliance of Harden and rather than criticize the things he can't do. And I'm now kind of going, I'm kind of going backwards on it where, um, he even plays less defense because now he's got good defenders around him. And so I, I just, I, I don't like that. Um, so you're arguing against what? What's happened here? Does we? That's what I'm saying. Some, you're praising the. You spent. You know. You're praising the the Rockets and you know this wonderfully you know good speculation that I love to say. 
love to see it, but uh, but I also at the same time I've wanted to vote Giannis, but I can't. I go because he's still got some gaps in his game, and to be fair, the team's two games above five hundred. Where if he was MVP, this team should be you know sixteen and eight, you know a couple more victories. There's no way. Giannis should let a a team lose in Dallas, right? Well, let's be um, honest. You put LeBron on that Bucks team. What's their record? Same. Oh, I think they're a bit better. They're a bit better. Well, okay. Well, put LeBron on any team. They put the best player in the world in, on the team, and they're going to be better. But no, Spurs are still sixteen, mate. Such a dick. <laughs> yeah, Boston would be worse probably. Actually, <laughs> no, not that you mentioned it. So um, I'm I just I'm not voting I'm not voting hard either. So I'm going I'm going total irrational. The numbers don't back up. Kyrie Irving. Oh, go away! Right, I knew so you were going to say I, that. That's only to back up your preseason prediction, is it? A little bit, but again, I I mean Giannis. Giannis is definitely top three, right? I don't know if he's number one. I think interestingly, like last year, right, Russ and Russ and would have been KD if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, and Harden is like, God, we're sort of splitting hairs. Now I'm like, I, I don't want anyone to be MVP right now. Um, Giannis, I think, has a really strong case, but the team record doesn't bear it out. So I can't, I don't really strongly argue for it. I've seen, I actually think Harden is worse defensively. He's better offensively, but he's worse and lazier. Oh, I disagree. Dumber? I mean, the Houston, they're a better defensive team all around. So, you know, you, you but can But not because there of on, him. Well, not because it's, of him, but he, he doesn't. You can excuse it more. I mean, if they're a terrible defensive team and he's a terrible defensive player within that, it, it, it's more inexcusable to me than if they're playing good team defense and he's, he can lit, literally say, well, I'm going to just save my efforts for the offensive end. So I'm going to go. I'm, I'm 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 sticking with it. Quarter season mark, number one Kyrie, uh, number two LeBron, number three Giannis, number four Harden. They're going to be top four, but they're all kind of bundled together, and they're splitting hairs. But that's where I'm going with Kyrie right now. Twenty-one and four. He's adapted his game amazingly. He makes impossible shot after impossible shot after impossible oh, shot. That's, that's just, just, yeah. Look, we can't get bogged down in this, but that's ridic- <clears throat> ridiculous suggestion if if he's averaging the same at the end of the season and you try and argue uh he's mvp over harden or lebron or Giannis, um then uh we're going to be in for a long pod because i will good that'll be that'll that'll be fun look at harden 31 points a game 31.7 points a game five rebounds 9.7 assists shooting 40 percent from three and Kyrie is 23.5 points a game, five assists, shooting 38% from three. And ostensibly, they got the same record, same number of losses. So it's not so even, it's you can't even that, point that, the team. It's good to know that you're all about counting stats now. I love it. Good. So I'm going, that you're going on record. This is recorded. This is Dad record. Is I'm, no, I just said win loss record. So 18 and four for Houston, 20. And, and by the way, Chris Paul out for the majority of the season as well. Uh, for Harden, you heard and about heard about Gordon Hayward's injury. You might have heard about that. Yeah, well, Hayward's not coming back, so you can't, uh, you can't so, even count that. I mean, to to me, that's that's irrelevant. So, what's your point about all oh, this MV? This Hall of Famer has played 
13 games with James Harden, and that's a that somehow gives Harden more credit because 13 games with a Hall of Famer, like that's better. Like what? Well, he's still he's he's putting up the same gaudy level of stats with a guy that also likes to have the ball in his hand. Was the point? <laughs> yeah. Hey, put John Stockton in your team. Guess what? The passes are better. Like what are you what are you talking about? He's nearly got ten assists a game. Harden. He's playing with Chris Paul. I can't believe you're saying Kyrie Irving. For, a 21 anyway, and 14. Look. He's playing with rookies and Terry Rozier. And look, I will bet you any amount of money you like, Kyrie Irving not only will not be MVP at the end of the year, he will not even be in the conversation. And you didn't ask me that question. Conversation. You asked me who I thought. You didn't say who do I think will win. You asked me who do I think. Well, you will put it this way: you will be in a, a very, very small minority. If you Aww, want to stick on the look, look at the beauty of this. Daz the populist. Let's just go, <laughs> hey, he scores the most points, and so he's the winner. Set it's the guy to do with that. It's about winning basketball games as well. Yeah, they won a ton of games last year, but you're, oh, he didn't play defense, didn't play defense, didn't play defense. Kawhi, 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 Well, Kawhi, Kawhi won Kawhi. a substantial so number of more, more games. I, I Kawhi Leonard won substantially more games last year. Um, than James Harden? Yes, and, I, and beat true. Harden in the playoffs to prove my point. <laughs> Come on, guys. Well, that's what, what's the defensive player of the year? Who, who are you going to get there? Oh, defensive player of the year. I probably could make a case for Giannis. I'm going to go Giannis at this point. Yeah, he can defend ones and defend fives and the chase downs and the well, Draymond um, hasn't been playing as well. Kawhi obviously the, not there at all. It's um, Dray, something's. We didn't even talk about Golden State, which is a shocker. They were on my ugly list, and KD getting ejected. Um, we we have to talk about them next week, but something's not right. Um, let's say they go without Steph. Yeah, they, they they haven't looked to me like they've been enjoying their basketball since Durant got there. But maybe he's just such a surly cupcake yeah. snowflake. <laughs> that no one enjoys being around him. Maybe he's the problem, not Russ. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. What about coach of the year? You got the, you'd got you have Brad Stevens. Let, let the, the Boston loving continue. Yeah, so sorry. Just So uh, Kyrie's <laughs> per 36 is 27 points a game. Harden's is still 31.7 because he plays 36 minutes. So on a per 36, their numbers are a little bit closer, right? It's 26 and 6. So just, just to close that out. But... um. How do you not vote? Again, uh, this isn't just the the love fest. Look, I can almost make a case for Dan Tony as well, because um, they've had similar amount of turnover, and they played they've played perfect as well, haven't they? Um, but I think there's a bit of the emotion right with the Hayward situation and losing your boy on the way they did. Uh, don't underestimate the amount of coaching it takes to you know have a team deal with that, and then the rookies. I say the rookies, but the Tatum and the mm. and, and Jalen Brown, the young kids. So I think this the integrating a team who you and I would have spent a lot of time talking about. Hey, love this Boston team, but they're three years away because boy, they're not going to be able to defend and rebound. Hmm, kind of wrong about that. So mm. if it's not coaching that's getting the most out of Marcus Fucking Smart and Terry Rozier and Daniel Teese, and I don't know what's getting it out of them, but it has to be coaching. Oh, it has to be but Stevens. Sure. It has to be Stevens. I mean, I'd Stevens. love to give it to Pop. Pop needs to, to have another. Yeah, look, yeah, that's a team we didn't even talk about tonight, but uh, again, the quiet, quiet, quiet 16-8 team who 
who rests their stars still and hasn't had their best player to be 16 and eight as down as the West is. Mm. Um, again, but pops in that he's in top two, top three every year. Yeah. So that's just the other thing to watch with Boston is every time they come out of the timeout, they just run a beautiful play. Stevens is just a master at just getting it. They'll get a layup and open three every single time. Um, Let's we'll finish off Daz quickly your all NBA team. Have you given much thought to this yet? Um I haven't actually given much thought to mine. Um just quietly. Well the... I think there's some there's some no brainers, right? Like you go even if you look at the forwards, uh, look, A D has been down um and been a little bit hurt, so he's off my list and you just kinda tick your two forwards, right? Or LeBron and Giannis, right? Yeah. Um K D is not in the same K D. Um, Draymond is not in the conversation. So for me, the forwards are Giannis and LeBron. Um, the backcourt is probably your, your trickiest one, right? So it's, it's hard to leave off Harden from your first team, all NBA. Um, and gosh, do you, you know, you look, look at the way Russ book is still playing and the no, team is Westbrook's under 500. Right. No. He's off. I agree. He's so off. I kind of go. The only one that would be Steph might might nudge Kyrie off for me, but I'd yeah, still I think go. Steph for Kyrie, boy, oh boy, oh boy. That's a tough one. Um, I'd still um, go Kyrie. I just think, with obviously, with the talent that Kyrie has around him to be to be bringing the team up to eighteen and four, um, I'd have Kyrie. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with the Nate Duncan um, selection for center. Does you're going to? I'm going to tell it. Let me think about it. You're going to go. You're going Joel Embiid. No, I'm not going with Joel Embiid. Oh, I thought he had... Maybe Danny had Joel. Who's your center then? LaMarcus Aldridge. I'm waiting for the punchline. <laughs> There's no punchline. We just give we give everyone a chance to, to hit stop on, on their podcast <laughs> and hit delete, unfollow, <laughs> unsubscribe. <laughs> well, look, Nate Duncan made a very, very good point. Um, he's playing well. He's playing well. He's playing he brilliantly. Um, right. Twenty-two and eight every night. Two point three assists. Sixteen and eight record. Best team on the six on the third best team in the West. Best player. I'll, <laughs> I'll Who else take, have the Spurs got? I'll take Boogie. <laughs> oh, please. The center is hard. So I, I boy, <laughs> flip a coin. You're going Curry over Kyrie or Kyrie over Curry. I'm going Kyrie slightly over Curry, slightly, only because the Golden State just shit me so much. Okay. I'm a Kyrie MVP, but he's not first team All NBA because I think Curry's more important. I think he's more, <laughs> he's more important to his team, right? That's that's your Boston. microphone drop. That's your microphone drop for the night. <laughs> it is. I think Boston would be 20 and 5. Could you imagine if you won the Vaders on the MVP and they yeah, this guy voted Kyrie but didn't have him in his first. <laughs> oh, you'd never be invited back. It would be over. measures, man, because there's most valuable players, the most valuable. Then there's all NBA, which is like oh. just the best. And so, like, Steph is, Steph is the best. Like, no one still does what he does. And he, he draws defenses oh. out and he makes you crazy. So, um, all right, I'm, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> but no, can we go back to so Lamarcus? Uh, but would you have Demarcus Cousins, Kristaps Porzingis, or or um, DeAndre as your five? Well, they have Lamarcus. What are you talking about? That's not a joke. 
He's outplayed any of those guys thus far this season. He hasn't outplayed Joel Embiid, and I got on Embiid as like my maybe my third team. Oh. But come on, Demar, you have to hand it to, to Cousins. Cousins still Cousins played still... well. They've all played well. They yeah. all played well. Um, but I just think Aldridge on the sixteen and eighteen, we've we've no help. Like really no help on that team. Their second best player is Rudy Gay coming off of Achilles tear. Offensively, anyway. And he Dan, plays, Danny he plays, Green's probably been their second he, best player. He plays a lot of four, though, next to Powell. So he, he does. He I mean, he only barely qualifies. I think yeah. he paid 51% of his minutes at centre. So That's why if, we, if we get away from that, I think it's Embiid. Then you're probably looking at, at Boogie. Um, and, and then maybe Boogie, John Henson. Yeah, yeah he's the third team. Yeah. Look, guys, if, I think if Gasol hadn't, hadn't been... I don't know. He's been shipping his Dale's wife or something else is go. There's more to that story than just oh they got they clashed. There's more. There's got to be more to that, right? Mm. So Gasol should still be our first team because of his combination of amazing defense, right? And but he's just he's not this year. He just hasn't hasn't been doing it. So I'm gonna go Giannis, LeBron, Harden, Curry, and uh, I'm gonna go against my own judgment because I can't. I wanted to shut up. I'm going Embiid. Because he he has been spectacular when he has played, and you're going to go Harden, I'll go Giannis. Harden, Kyrie, uh, Aldridge, LeBron, Giannis, and LeBron. Yep. Yep. All right, all right. So, all right, that's what we'll lose there for tonight. What, what is your rookie? The, is, oh, sorry, is Ben Simmons. The, yeah, Ben Simmons. Still for him. Yep. Mitchell hasn't caught up yet. Okay. No, Mitchell's there. He's, he's, he's catching him, but not. Quite is Mitchell there. number two? Mitchell's number two. No, yeah, no. right. That's interesting. Okay. But that's the injury. That's one I think we need to keep tracking. Who is this, the second um, best rookie of the year? Because uh, that, that would be a fascinating um, discussion. Men's has sort of ran away a bit. But as I said, if, if Mitchell keeps playing the way he does, has been, um, who knows where that's going to end up. Yeah. All right. Okay. Look, Daz, we're about to tick over to our mark. I'm going to have to cut some of that Kyrie Harden argument, um, particularly after you threw Kyrie out of your first. Anyway, so hey, it's it's me. been a it's a it's been a four stone night, so it was going to yes. be a bit it's going to be a bit goofy. All right, mate. Look, take it easy. I hope the family all get better, mate. And um, look, that I tell you what, it's sometimes more fun not being encumbered by having watched all these games the last few days. And just anyway, that was good fun. See you, buddy. Yeah. All right, mate. Talk to you. Bye. Take care. Bye.